Oh. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where, sorry, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Okay, that was my mistake. Please forgive me. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body, so if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. May God bless the reading of his word. Come, Pastor Jeff. So we're starting a new sermon series this morning called Investing in Eternity, the Joy of Financial Stewardship. So yes, over the next few weeks, we're going to hear from Scripture, from the Word of God, probably some hard and tough messages about money. About money and how we view it and steward it in light of our faith in the kingdom of God. Now, stewardship can cover a, you know, a wide range of areas because it's about how we manage what God has given to us. Right? So our time, our ties, that is our relationships, our temple, that is our body, our, our talents, how we serve, and yes, even our treasures. And each of these areas are incredibly important when we consider stewardship. And each of these areas probably deserves its own set of sermons. But this particular sermon series is really just focusing on this last area. Stewarding our treasures, financial stewardship. There's a couple of reasons for that. You know, first, money can be uncomfortable to talk about particularly in church sometimes. You know, there are times where it's easy to talk about it, right? You want to talk about church budgets or the building project at the membership meeting last week or the rise of inflation or how much food in our groceries and even fast food in the dollar menu costs now. You know, that's almost too easy to talk about. But when it comes to our own money, how we view it, how we're stewarding it, oh, that's, that can be kind of hard, you know, didn't Jesus say something about, you know, practicing your righteousness in secret? 
know, not letting your, your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Like, I'm going to put one hand behind my back, and the other one I'm going to type in my credit card information to give to this nonprofit organization. He did, but I think the point that he was making in that passage, which is actually early in our chapter, was calling out the motivation behind that. Right? He was calling out those who give to the needy in order to. Right? The purpose of their giving to the needy was in order to be seen by others. And so these hypocrites that Jesus calls out are people who acted like they had a concern for the poor, but their real concern was their reputation for piety. And ironically, sometimes that, that concern for others and, and for how others view us might still be there, might govern what we do, what we talk about, might still be the driving motivation for our actions. You know, I'm sure when I was first starting out in ministry, I was, you know, super fortunate to be uh, blessed by my family who purchased, uh, bought me a new car, right, to get around, a, a Toyota. It was a blessing to be used to bless others. You know, someone had, had noticed and, and just mentioned to me, you know, that's great. You know, but it also might be hard for you to preach a sermon series on money or giving. It might be more helpful for you to drive a beater if you're going to do that. And there's probably some truth to that, right? Like, you know, as preachers, as, I, you know, as myself or Pat, you know, we don't want things in our personal life to be a distraction or a hindrance to the Word of God. At the same time, what do I do now? I have two Toyotas now. You know, one for me and one for my wife. You know, I, I, you know I'll admit, right, I'll confess that there was some hesitancy about a sermon series like this, right? How do we handle this topic delicately and appropriately and responsibly? Like, will we, will I, will Pat be a distraction or a hindrance to God's word to all of us? Because Money is just not what we talk about. And yet it impacts every part of our life. Our personal life, our family life, our church life. Money is a gospel issue. Now this sermon series isn't simply about money and finances. We have tons of podcasts that we can listen to about that. It's also about stewardship of it. right? As Christians, as believers, tying it to our faith our heart, and the kingdom of God. Another reason for this sermon series, right? Things like stewardship and giving and generosity can't be assumed. You know, it's easy to take it for granted when, you know, our church, you guys, were exceedingly generous, when we're minimizing expenses, when we're creating surplus, but stewardship is a part of discipleship. And part of the reason why we're doing it around this time of the year is we're going we're to make an announcement later, but we have our annual Missions and Social Concerns Conference coming up. And with that, it brings to our attention the Missions and Social Concerns budgets, too. Sometimes there's pledges, right? And the call to contribute financially to bringing the gospel to the ends of the earth and to bringing God's justice here as well. And then after that, sometimes, maybe not every year, but once in a while, we, we talk about, or we highlight our benevolence fund around Thanksgiving as we give thanks, which is used to care for those among us in our communities with financial needs. And so this sermon series isn't here just to cause us to examine our wallets, but to see it in light of the greater picture of what God is doing and for us to be a part of that. You know, with our time, yes, with our tithes, 
with our temple, our talents, and yes, even our treasures. One last thing um, before we jump into our passage this morning. You know, there may be times throughout this sermon series where, I, you know, I will feel maybe, I don't know, convicted to share from my own life about what God has been doing. You know, trying to work in all my sin and areas of weakness in my own heart when it comes to stewardship and generosity. And I, and I share it with you not because I'm hoping it'll change how you view me, right, but as a you know, personal illustration, right? This is how I see God's word working itself, being relevant and applicable in my own heart, in my own life, and hopefully maybe you can see it for yours as well. There may also be times where I'm going to explain some things about our church, about church finances and all these different funds and budgets that we have because it's like really complicated, right? And I'm still learning, right? But my hope and prayer is not we're going to take this as some hidden underlying message, right? You know, if that, that were the case at the end of the sermon, I might as well pass around a machine with this tipping screen around. That's probably a good thing that the offering times comes before the sermon, not after. But all this, right, all this is good for us to think about financial stewardship, not just generally, but also specifically as a church, as a congregation, as church members, and as individuals. And so now, with all that in mind, let us jump into the Word of God, right? Jesus is speaking in Matthew 6, and there are two questions for us to reflect on this morning. Two questions that make up two points. Where is your treasure? Where is your trust? First point, where is your treasure? Jesus begins our passage with this command. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. And so look at this contrast here, right, between heaven and earth, between what is lasting and what is liable to loss. Right? Treasures on earth are subject to moth and rust. It's vulnerable to thieves breaking in. There's more than one way that treasures on earth are temporary. Inflation re- reduces the value of the dollar. Bitcoin spikes and then drops. Right, Your phone screen cracks and then you have to get a new one. Cars break down. Clothes get torn. Right? And Jesus is instructing us to invest in eternity. Not to say that we shouldn't buy new clothes or get a car or whatever, right? But he's asking us, where ultimately is your treasure? Why? And why this focus on stewardship and where it is? Why this question of, like, he's inviting us to go on a treasure hunt this morning? Why? It's because stewardship is a litmus test of the heart. Verse 21 helps us to see why Jesus talks about investing in eternity. Because treasures are a measure of the heart. Stewardship is a litmus test of the heart. It's a way for us to kind of reveal who or what we're really pursuing, what we're really worshiping. What is the motivation behind all the decisions that we make? Stewardship shows who our true master is. Stewardship reveals whether we view what we have as God's money or our money. So the question of where's your treasure, and this word treasure really captures what it's about, right? It's about examining the very thing that we prize most, that we value above all else, right? We live our lives according to a set of different values, 
And our lives, our decisions, our time is governed by how we order those values. And so we could exchange the word value for love, and we could ask, right, like, how do we order the different things that we love or value or treasure? So, for example, I might value an education from a top-tier school. I might also value not being broke from student loans. If I were to ask all of you, most of you, probably all of you would raise up, like, I value these two things. Right? But we might also differ in how we order them. So if I value uh, not being broke over an education from a top tier school, then that might affect what school I go to, what schools I apply to. I might go to a state school with still a decent education, but maybe not the reputation, the name brand, name brand recognition. Or if I value that top tier school, over the burden of student loans, then, you know, that might mean opting for that top-tier school if I get in or taking out some loans or asking my family to help, right? And, and so in both cases, it's not that I don't value either of them, but one is more my treasure than the other. Now, that's just a simple example limited to this, like, small microcosm of our life. And we could expand it to encompass our entire life, right? So when we take everything into consideration, what is our ultimate treasure? What is our ultimate uh, thing that is driving us? You know, at Crossbridge, we have these four core values. You can see them on the front side of that handout that I passed out earlier, right? Four motives is what we call them here. These are shared convictions that guide our actions and shape our ministry's ethos. And so for the most part, core values in any church or organization, they they ought to be actual values and not less so aspirational values, right? They ought to characterize the people and the organization or the group as a whole or the way that we do things. Otherwise, you know, people are going to come and they're going to be like, oh, you know, you say that you value that. You know, I, I see it on your website. I see it on these banners. I see it on this handout that I got passed out. But I don't really see it. Now, sometimes it is okay to have one or two aspirational values, right? Something to aim towards because you realize, like, look, we're not not quite there. We're not perfect. We're not always consistent. But, hey, we want to be. And we're trying to be. And this thing is so important that we can't leave it out. So our first Crossbridge core value is this. We are for God. The other three are we are Scripture-driven. We're better together. We're servant-hearted. And what does it mean to be for God? It means that we orient our lives and our purposes to God. We seek first the, the kingdom of God and his righteousness, Matthew 6, right? It means that our treasure is God, and not only or simply the gifts that he gives us. And this core value is probably one of those values which is sometimes actual and sometimes aspirational. But it's so important that we can't leave it out. And I put it here as an example to continue to cause us to ask ourselves, well, where's my treasure? In fact, I think the passage itself, Jesus in this passage is asking us to do that as well. Jesus is speaking, and he's talking about storing up treasures, and he's addressing uh, people in plural, right? You all do not lay up for yourself, etc., right? But verse 21 now, it switches to the singular, Right? It's a statement of fact, of truth, but from one from the pages of Scripture that is pointed right at you. Not to the person to your left, 
or to your right, but at you. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so the implied question Jesus is asking is, where is your treasure? Is your heart's true cue is where our treasures accrue. In my last year of college, there were things happening in my life and in my relationships that made it really easy for me to, to sinfully focus on attaining financial security and social status as if that was the end-all, be-all. At one point, because of the things that were happening in my life, I felt pressured, I felt the need that I needed to get into a top-tier business school. To do that, I needed to take the GMAT. To do that, I needed to score into uh, what they call the 700-plus club. Now, there's nothing morally wrong with taking the GMAT, trying to get into a good program, trying to do well academically. But remember, the issue that Jesus brings up is first and foremost a heart issue. And so on the surface, it might not be that apparent, right? You know, like, oh, I see Jeff studying. He's trying to be a good son. He's trying to be a good student. He's trying to steward well his time and his talents, and that is great. But inwardly, I was a fool chasing a fool's errand. Not because getting a high score or getting to a good business school would have been completely pointless, but because I was acting as if that treasure was lasting and not temporary. And so I had three weeks to study. Three weeks from the time I decided, hey, I need to do this thing. I spent 15 hours a day at my desk studying for it with all these books. I took a practice exam every other day. Devoted myself wholeheartedly across three weeks to this one thing. And I remember walking to the testing center, you know, taking it and getting my score and seeing that oh, I got into this club, right? Then I walked out. Ying texted me, asking me how it went, how I felt. You know how it was a heart issue? You know how this was my treasure at this point in my life? When you don't have it, you're devastated. When you do have it, you're disappointed. The latter was me. I texted back, I feel empty. I feel completely not fulfilled. Like, is this what I'm supposed to be feeling? Like, I went through all that for a piece of paper that had a score that was going to expire in five years. Like, literally a treasure on earth that is temporary and very temporary in the grand scheme of things. You know, one month later, I quit my job and enrolled in seminary. And after that, the PDF of my score sat in a Google Drive folder. And still does. And admittedly, like even in those five years, even as I was in seminary, right, my heart would sometimes be like, man, the score is still there. Right, I, have, I still have three years left. I have two years left before it expires. Maybe I can get my MDiv for ministry and then also get an MBA. Why? I don't know, just because. Right? Where's your treasure? Jesus asked this question to us because stewardship is a litmus test of the heart. He asks us too because you cannot serve both the Almighty and the Almighty dollar. Now, here we read these verses that talk about this eye, right? And how this one small body part provides illumination for the whole body. This one small body part that causes us to look with envy at other treasures. 
And so this passage makes a point about having a, a healthy eye, right? Which can also mean, the word healthy can also mean a single or a simple eye, meaning like singular focus or devotion. And so in other words, Jesus is making the point that devotion cannot be divided. And if we try to do that, we end up spiritually cross-eyed. In fact, this is how Jesus ends. Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. This is an either or, not a both and. And so you've heard me say this before, that the throne of your heart is not a love seat. There's no two seats. We saying about the kingdom of my heart earlier. There's only one seat for one master, for one king. Devotion cannot be divided. So we ask this morning, where is your treasure? Where's your heart? You can't serve both the almighty and the almighty dollar. And so Jesus takes this point then and then leads it into the second question. Where is your trust? He gives us three points about kind of wrestling with and answering this question. First, put your faith in God. This second section links back with the first, right, with this key word conjunction, therefore. Right? You cannot serve God in money. If we choose to serve God, we need to rely then on ultimately on God and on ourselves. And so, therefore, if that's the case, therefore, do not be anxious about your life. This word anxious occurs like several times, six times in our passage. It governs each of these three points that we're going to go through. Verse 25, verse 31, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious. It repeats itself. Anxiousness is an outcome of serving money. Now to be clear, right, many of us struggle with anxiety. And there are many different causes for anxiety, I'm not saying that this is the one reason that we're anxious. Right? It may not actually be related to money at all. But what Jesus is saying that if, if money is your treasure, if money and all the things that it represents is where your heart is, then you might experience some anxiousness. And that our anxiety, what we're feeling, might reveal where our trust ultimately is. Is it in our earthly treasures, or is it in our Heavenly Father? Jesus gives us a host of reasons for not being anxious. Verses 25 to 30, is not life more important than the food, and the body more important than clothing? You know, the point is not that you shouldn't have these things, right? But that they're not the most important things. And so it discourages the wealthy and comfortable from concentrating on their own success and the poor and uncomfortable from concentrating on their own misery. Verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, and yet God feeds them. Are you not of more value than the birds? And so the point is not that we can shirk all responsibility and, you know, God's going to rain money from heaven. Jesus is not discouraging us from hard work to provide for our needs. We look at the birds. Even the birds have to put in work, right? They have to fly. They have to scavenge. They have to look. And, but even with all the things that these birds do, they are still as dependent on nature and the whims of nature, which Jesus is viewing as God's way of provision. And if God cares for these birds through these ways, how much more will he care for us? Verse 27, is worrying productive at all? 
The passage says, you know, can you by being anxious add a single hour to your span of life? You know, other translations say a single cubit to your stature, right? And so in both cases, it's, it's impossible, right? Will worrying make you grow taller or let you live longer? No. If you're short king, you're short king. Keep calm and carry on. So one scholar says this, right? That worry is practical atheism and affront to God. Like, think about that for a moment. Like, what this scholar is saying. Jesus is asking us, where is our trust? You know, put your faith in God. Don't be anxious. But, you know, if we are anxious, it, it might mean that we are trusting in something else, someone else other than God. And if you take it further... Right? It's as if then God is a non-factor. He could be there. He doesn't need to be there. It doesn't matter. Right? Because our treasure, our trust is someplace else. Somewhere else. And in this case, it's I trust myself or I trust money. This is the second point under the second question. Prioritize the kingdom of God. Jesus explains, you know, don't be anxious. And he gives a reason, right? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. He's showing us the difference between those who would, whose trust is in God and those whose trust is not. Why don't we need to be anxious? Right? The antidote to this kind of anxiety is right priority. And so notice the difference between believers and unbelievers, it's not seeking versus not seeking, but seeking first. It's priority. We, you know, we all like seek after all these things, right? You know, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? I need a raise to, because to, I have another kid on the way or something, right? But the difference is that we are ultimately, deep down, for God. We orient our lives and our purposes to God. So seeking first here isn't talking about time, but of importance. That this is the most important thing. This is where my treasure is. My heart is. Notice, Jesus says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And then all these things will be added to you. And so he references all these things, the very things that these Gentiles were seeking. But these things are not the end. They're the result of God who cares for you and provides for you. Versus earlier, right, where these Gentiles are seeking after all these things as if they are the end all be all. Third point about answering where is your trust? procrastinate your worrying. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Like, who among us, who are my really good procrastinators? You know, loud, oh, loud and proud, yeah. Like, unbelievably good, like the exam is tomorrow, but I'll get to it tomorrow morning. You know, or, or you know, those chores can wait, those dishes can, I'll, I'll, you know, it'll, it'll be done, Right? So Jesus is saying, well, there's one more thing that you can add to that list of things that you're not going to do. And that's worrying. Because usually when we're anxious, the anxiety has to do with treasures and money, then it's often about the future, right? It's usually the future that 
bothers us, that consumes us. Procrastinate your worry. Now, let's be clear here. We're not, we're not trying to suppress our thoughts here, right? Or suppress our feelings or to ignore the situation entirely. We're not trying to gaslight ourselves out of anxiety. But to reframe it and to re- redirect our worries, our treasures, and our trust to God. So again, as we close, two questions for us to reflect on, to leave with this morning. Where is your treasure? Where is your trust? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give thanks to you for you are worthy of all of our praise. You're worthy to be exalted and glorified. And we pray that in the depths of our hearts that we would see that to be true, to live that out in the ways that we steward all that you have given us, whether it be our time, our ties, or yeah, even our treasures. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.